Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, January 10th. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau touched down in Mexico on Monday to take part in the Three Amigos Summit this week, focusing on Canada's economic relationship with both Mexico and the U.S. We discussed the importance of the summit with Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. A new study from the Fraser Institute looks at both federal and provincial government debt loads and what needs to be done to address the growing concern. We get details on the research from Jake Fuss, senior economist from the Fraser Institute. Looking for the latest and greatest in the world of tech, the gadget guy Mike Yanni joins us with his top picks from this year's Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, including color-changing appliances. It's been a big week in Calgary Radio. We've expanded to both 770 AM and 107 FM on QR Calgary. We discuss the importance and the impact of talk radio with our friend and former morning show host, Bruce Kenyon. Every week, we get the chance to chat with Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson, to break down the latest episode and all the news that are making headlines here in our country. Well, Mercedes is back with us this morning. Happy New Year, Mercedes. Hey, Happy New Year. Oh, and uh, also, welcome to QR Calgary, still on AM and now on FM at 107.3. So this is your first hit on the FM dial with us. Well, this is very exciting. We've been together for years, and now we get to do both AM and FM. Exactly. <laughs> Opening things <laughs> up for a, a new audience, hopefully, and maybe some folks who don't know about the West Block that now will learn about this great show that they can tune into on global television. Well, we would certainly love to have them as we enter this new year of uh, already, you know, early in 2023, and as usual, politically packed and uh, full of all kinds of twists and turns. Absolutely. We know it. We love it. And we'd love people to join you on the West Block. Uh, let's uh, talk about some of the things that you focus on in the West Block. Well, a lot of Canadians made their way back from winter vacation uh, from Mexico. Uh, President, uh, pre- President, pre- Prime Minister, that's what we call him around these parts. Justin Trudeau <laughs> got on a plane and he went to Mexico, not for a vacation. It is the Three Amigos Summit. And I guess they'll be officially meeting today. What is on the agenda, Mercedes? Yes, the Three Amigos is always really interesting because, uh, first of all, it's all about North America. Uh, So, of course, it's Canada, it's Mexico, it's the United States. Um, And from Canada's perspective, it's also an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with the U.S. president. And no matter who that president is, that's really important because of how reliant Canada is on the United States. Some of the things that are expected to be on the agenda won't be a surprise to your listeners. There are things like North American security, and we expect that uh, China, while not on the agenda, is absolutely going to be a big discussion point uh, between Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau in particular, uh, because, of course, there's the official agenda and the official sort of outcomes and sort of the background stuff. We're told that that's going to be one of the big discussions uh, by sources. Also, they're going to be obviously concerned about what's happening in Ukraine. And then there's going to be the discussions about things like trade, right? Um, Canada is completely reliant on the U.S. for trade, and there's always irritants and disagreements in the relationship. Recently, dairy comes to mind as one of the big conflicts that there's been going on. Uh, they're going to be talking as well about the environment, uh, because when you're talking North America and you're talking about things like emissions, obviously those don't recognize borders. So that's going to be a big discussion as well. But keep in mind, this is all going on with the background of what's happening in Mexico and the Sinaloa cartel uh, and this extraordinary violence 
that has erupted after the arrest of the head of one of the cartel's sons. Um, so I suspect that uh, when we're talking about security, that is something that may have a way of making its way uh, onto that unofficial agenda as well. And of course, prosperity in the economy, big, big topics with inflation that is not just affecting Canada, it's affecting the United States, it's affecting Mexico, uh, and what that means for those countries, which is sometimes where you start to see the tension, right? When people start to pursue their own interests as a country um, and not as much work together. And, and that's a, a far bigger issue for Canada because of how we're positioned economically than it is for the United States if, if we're not able to convince whoever the U.S. president is to try to work with Canada. And of course, it goes further than that. We have to worry about Congress and the Senate, too, because they have a, a different system than us in the U.S. But trying to get Joe Biden on side on some of that will be important for Justin Trudeau. So we'll be watching that, see if any news or uh, announcements come out of the summit. I want to talk to you as well about uh, on the West Block this past weekend. You spoke with Métis Nation Council President Cassidy Caron. What progress did she talk about about being made towards reconciliation? So she says one of the big issues for the Métis community is that there are many residential school survivors that are not recognized. Uh, and part of this is because some of them were in day schools, but they were just as abusive um, as a number of the schools that other Indigenous Canadians attended. And she said until that's really recognized, there are many, many more survivors out there um, who have not been officially recognized because they're Métis um, and you know that, that this is a real sticking point uh, and the Métis Nation is huge it's a really interesting organization um, it's, it's expected to continue to grow um, and it's something that I remember when I, I first got to Ottawa um, the Métis weren't even being discussed in a lot of the settlements, in a lot of the issues. Um, it was very specific to certain First Nations uh, or certain communities. And when the Supreme Court opened up the definitions uh, and started talking about the Métis community, that's a very large group of people. And essentially, the, the federal government still hasn't caught up with the fact of, of how many more people that means it's affected, um, how many more people who may not belong to a specific First Nations community uh, or for specific First Nation, but are in fact Métis in their descent, uh, have ancestors and have family members who are survivors of residential schools. And so she's very happy with sort of the progress that she's seen so far, but a lot more needs to be done. She also thinks a lot more needs to be done on missing and murdered Indigenous girls and women. Um, as we saw in Winnipeg just before Christmas, that horrific situation of the women there who have gone missing, um, police say have been killed or in a landfill, the, the sort of uh, initial shrug of, well, we can't search for them because it's too difficult and then it was actually how articulate some of their daughters were and able to really being able to bring that to media attention and say like these are our mothers and we would like them to be searched for um she really believes that more needs to be done on that front not just sort of the political rhetoric they've done all of these inquiries and looking into but but what's going to be done to try to stop this from happening in the first place just before we let you go, Mercedes announced yesterday that uh, the federal government signed off on the final contract to buy F-35 jet fighters to replace the Air Force's CF-18s, very much aging. 88 warplanes in total, $19 billion, so, but the deal uh, you know, represents kind of a, a step back from the Liberal government's announcement earlier to say uh, we're going to you know, save some bucks and, and find a cheaper alternative, <laughs> and that they, that they did not. So I'm wondering, has there been blowback about that? I step back, 
slash 180 degree turn uh, (laughs) from an election promise not to buy the, uh, you know, the the F-35s. I remember when Stephen Harper was in power when I first got to Ottawa, one of the hottest topics was the F-35. And the liberals hated them. They said they were going to run against them. And and defense experts were kind of saying, yeah, but um, they're going to improve. And keep in mind, uh, they have improved, but there are still some issues with them. But one of the big issues was interoperability with the United States because of NORAD and the way that we fly missions overseas. Um, we we're simply not capable of doing it alone as a country. We often have to use American infrastructure, um, so being interoperable with the Americans is important. And a lot of folks said from the beginning, because of that, the F-35 is really the only fighter. It is the stealth fighter. Yes, that stealth technology will be overcome, but you will need stealth to not get caught on radar systems by the time we get them. And sort of here we are, uh, and unsurprisingly for all the defense and Air Force experts that I spoke to, uh, there's some who really don't like the F-35. The vast majority had said from the beginning, like it or not, it's sort of the only available aircraft that makes sense for Canada. Mm-hmm. And here we are buying it, and uh, we're buying it for a lot more money than if they had bought it years ago. <laughs> so uh, there's some blowback. I think they'll largely avoid uh, sort of this becoming a huge political issue in the way that it was for Stephen Harper uh, because they slowly eased it in. But at the end of the day, the truth is this is the exact opposite of what the government promised to do. Yeah. And it raises some questions about uh, why those promises were really being made in the first place, whether they were about defense or just about politics. Thank you, Mercedes. Always love talking to you, and you'll leave us on that note. Appreciate it. We'll check in with you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. From personal debt to federal and provincial debt, how have debt levels in Canada changed? Joining us to discuss the latest report looking at the growing debt burden for Canadians is Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Jake. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Well, what does the latest report from the Fraser Institute tell us about the debt load across Canada? Well, government debt is a prominent issue in Canada, in part due to the surge in spending we saw during COVID. Um, In fact, the combined debt of both the federal and provincial governments is now expected to reach over $2 trillion this year. That's why it's especially important for Ottawa and provincial governments to develop long-term plans to stop accumulating debt and avoid making the problem worse. Jake, can you break it down a little bit for us uh, in terms of how the debt levels have changed over the past handful of years or so? Yeah, it varies obviously by jurisdiction, but generally we have seen over the last decade and a half, basically every province in Canada significantly increased their debt load. Um, We have seen recently Alberta return to being the lowest debt province in Canada after a few years of losing that status. Um, But even in the case of Alberta, um, we have seen their debt load increase by almost $100 billion since 2007. Um, and, you know, like I said, we've seen some recent good progress with one or two surpluses, but that obviously is not going to solve the problem for the province in the long term. Um, but like I said, you know, we are seeing these trends of debt increase really across every province right now. You mentioned, Jake, that we have the uh, distinction of being the lowest when it comes to the debt levels. Still not a small number. Uh, what about the highest across the country? Which uh, province has the biggest burden at this point? Yeah, right now we're seeing the highest debt jurisdictions in Canada are generally in Atlantic Canada. Um, So we see that Newfoundland and Labrador, for instance, has one of the highest debt per person of any province. Um, Ontario is also up there as well um, in terms of how much debt they own on a per person basis. Um, And then when we throw in federal debt, too, um, we can see that Newfoundland Labrador um, has each person carrying almost $65,000 in government debt right now. Uh, which is a stark contrast to Alberta, which is the lowest debt jurisdiction um, where they had debt per person of about $43,000.
Wow. Okay. So, I mean, if we want to address the growing debt problem in Canada, uh, from your perspective as part of the Fraser Institute, what, what steps do we need to do? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I think governments across Canada need to develop credible long-term plans in their budgets this year um, that demonstrate modest spending restraint and aim to stop debt accumulation in the foreseeable future. So ultimately, you know, federal and provincial governments need to understand they're going to have to make difficult decisions in a post-COVID world, and we're not going to be able to run deficits for, you know, for several years in the future. Um, and this is similar to what we did in the mid-1990s. Um, you know, we had a, a federal government under Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. They had to make difficult decisions when they had a near debt crisis at that time. Um, but they chose not to pass the burden of debt down to the next generation or to another government. Jake, do we have projections on federal debt levels going ahead the next 12 months plus? Uh, yes. Yeah. So what we see from the latest um, projections from the federal government, we do see that they are expected to continue running deficits for the foreseeable future. Um, they're not expected to balance the budget before any time before 2027. Um, so we are expected to continue increasing that federal debt over time. Um, and it, with a possible recession, those numbers could get worse over time. Um, so we'll have to stay posted and see what um, they do this spring and their upcoming budget. Thank you so much, Jake, for joining us this morning and breaking it down. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for having me on. Thanks so much. Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Again, you can go at Fraser Institute for more details. What, what do you think, Sue? Uh, is it a case that you expect that? So you get another credit card, you get a personal line of credit with what we're seeing? Uh, do you tighten that belt? Uh, you know, you're changing your habits. I saw a post yesterday that said the greatest... <laughs> again, this is this is in jest. The greatest path to bankruptcy is shopping at Co-op or Safeway. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of different choices up there. We, we have no frills. We have Costco. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you need the Costco membership. You can go to these different stores. You can buy in bulk. I've seen people on different Facebook pages saying, who wants to go in and find a butcher so we can buy half a cow? Yeah. We have a deep yes. freeze for that to begin with. Uh, yeah, so, so there are different ways that you can pinch those pennies. Or do you just say, okay, I will get out of this debt? Uh, you know, personally, we're not talking, of course, provincially or federally. Uh, we do need, of course, these services to keep the, the province running, the country running. It's uh, the unnecessary evil that we all know and love, taxes. I've changed my habits for sure. When I, Groceries, I used to really, honestly, never really look at prices. Oh. And now that's all I do. I check everything. I buy. I look for, you know, for example, was making a, a taco salad last night. Yeah. So, you know, instead of buying a whole cabbage, I bought a piece of cabbage because sometimes I'll eat what I want and then it just goes bad and you throw it in the garbage. Well, I don't want to do that. I feel bad about wasting now because everything is but so But that's expensive. getting old, Sue. We're like our parents. I know. That's terrible to say, but I'm just a little more cognizant when I do my shopping. And let's face it, mama needs a new pair of shoes all the time. <laughs> I, I love me some clothes and shoes shopping, but I'm kind of holding back right now because things are just crazy expensive. Yeah, that hard line has been drawn between needs and wants as the crunch is on, the mm-hmm. cost of living, inflation. Uh, of course, greedflation, another term that we've learned in the past 12 months plus. Uh, but yes, to that point, and it's something that uh, we spoke with Dave McIver about when somebody had wrote, uh, written, written down. Yeah, there it is. Maybe I need English classes. Um, written down on the text line, bring back the real, uh, you know, KD. I do, and this is something we've had conversations about, particularly when it comes to packaged macaroni dinners. I'll get the off-brand. And whenever I'm buying anything, to your point at the grocery store with your cabbage story, I will look at the options. And if I can get an off-brand, why? especially if it's an ingredient of mm-hmm. something. Yeah, you right? yeah it's, not your, it's not forefront in your meal yeah. plan. Yeah, for sure. I have a favorite butcher in town that just uh, reopened a new shop. I bought a steak, 
Uh, it's a ribeye steak. You showed me the picture. I can't yeah. believe the price tag on that. It's the thing. size of your head, Sue. And it was $19. And it was like, I mean, compared this, to what we're seeing. Well, in I mean, it, it's a big, big steak. And it's probably the equivalent that would have been $45 for, mm-hmm. for the same size or two steaks in the other grocery stores. I'm curious mm-hmm. if people are changing habits now. Like, it's really kind of sunk in, I think, that, you know, groceries, everything is just so much more expensive. Are, are people starting to change habits now? Are we being a little more aware of the things that we buy? Are we hold off on buying something because the price tag is just so outrageous on so many things? Yeah, post-Christmas as well. Yeah. I give you the other example. I'm not sure if I did on the air. Little Caesars Pizza, which my kids love. It's a staple in our house. Just to have a pizza in the fridge. That pizza used to be, beginning of this year, it was $5.99. Then it made the leap to $6.49, $6.99. Mm-hmm. And now that pizza, within a year, is now $7.49. Which, for a full pizza, come on, that's a great deal. That, but you notice, these, you notice, if it, you know those things that you buy on the regular. Yeah. From color-changing appliances to transparent TVs, the Consumer Electronics Show always debuts the latest and greatest in technology. Our tech expert, Mike Yanni, was in Vegas on the show floor this year, joins us this morning with a look at some of the most interesting devices that made their debut at the show this year. Morning to you, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. I'm surprised you got out of Vegas alive and that you're allowed to tell us because usually you can't share what happened in Vegas. But so thank you for breaking that. But uh, the... I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. I got in late last night. Oh, did you? <laughs> okay, so you are legit right back from Vegas. Thank you for waking up and joining us. Tell us a little bit about the show because I know the pandemic impacted and affected what it looked like and how it actually was able to be attended. What was it like this year? Yeah, you know what? This year, I will say it was. It felt close to a normal year. Two years ago, it was completely canceled, which was incredible to hear that a show this size was just, you know, completely wiped off the map. Last year, it was just, you know, a fraction of what it used to be. Half the convention center was open. Uh, companies had registered to be there, and they last minute didn't show up, so there was empty spaces. you got to remember, this show is about 20 football fields big. It's so big, the convention center doesn't even hold it anymore. Well, I mean, they hold it, but it's spilled out into a lot of uh, surrounding hotels. This year, there was about 117,000 people from around the world. Typically, though, we see about 170. But I will say, I actually liked it, because usually it's elbow to elbow. You are pushing yourself through the crowds, trying to see the latest and greatest. And this year, there was room. There was breathing space. So it was actually good to actually be able to see what you wanted to see without pushing through. So I kind of liked it. All right, Mike, let's get into the toys. Let's get into the tech. Yes. And it's interesting to me because you're going to bring us some fantastical things. But every single year, it seems like there's a new take mm-hmm. on televisions. And uh, this year was no different, right? Every year, TVs seem to steal steal the spotlight. And you're right, this year was no difference. Uh, We've seen rollable TVs in the past where the screen rolls up like wallpaper. That we didn't see on the show this year, on the show floor. This year was about wireless television. So I think people like to get creative now with the TVs where they place them in their homes. But the one thing you have to consider is you have either a cable box, a satellite box, a streaming device hooked up, you've got cables, you've got cords, you have to hide them. So LG unveiled a 97-inch, super thin, completely wireless. So you have a little transmitter box that goes across the room. So you hook up all your stuff where you can hide it somewhere else. And then you can put your TV up on the wall. Uh, you can maybe you want to put it in a stand a few feet away from the wall so you don't see those cords anymore. I think the big catch here, though, is only going to be coming in one size, which is a 97-inch OLED. That is a super expensive television that was debuted last year, so the wireless component will only be on that. 
So if you're going to be an early adopter, you are going to pay a heavy price. And I just want to point out one other quick thing about the wireless TVs. We saw this technology 10 years ago. 10 years ago, everyone pushed wireless television, and it disappeared. Mm. Haven't heard from it since. So interesting that it's making a comeback. I think technology and streaming and all that is so much faster. The infrastructure is there that they're going to try to make a goal once again. Interesting. Okay, let's go to home appliances because getting more and more high-tech, and this year, no different. LG showing off something pretty cool. Yeah, what do you guys think about an appliance that can change with your mood? (laughs) Change colors? Can completely change colors. I love it. Yeah, so the front is, uh, they're they're basically LED lights hidden behind that front panel, but it looks stunning. There's an app. You can choose from millions of colors. You can change, there's four panels. So you can change different panels uh, to different colors. You can have them pulsating. They can play music if you want, like a disco. I was, you know, I was skeptical. I heard about this. I'm like, oh, this is going to look so tacky. It's going to look horrible. It looks really slick. And it's interesting because they've also teamed up. There's the Pantone color of the year. Uh, you know, it, what you want to do is, you know, it's up to you. The, the, there's endless possibilities mm. with this. It is coming out this year, by the way. We talked a lot about tech. Now we're going to talk about Plants, but this is an interesting take on plants because you wouldn't expect to see plants on the floor at the Consumer Electronics Show, right? Except unless they're for decoration, right? <laughs> That's about all. And it's funny because you know a lot of these companies have these ten, twenty, thirty thousand square foot booths showing off their tech. I stumbled upon this one. They literally had a table, uh, you know, like a, a card table set up at the convention center. They're called Neo Plants, and they have bioengineered a plant that can replace. 30 house plants in terms of how much toxins it can take out of the air. Oh. And it's really interesting because they grow them from actual cells. And so they had some little baby plants on the table. Uh, and <laughs> here's, the, here's what I think people are going to problem with. I love the idea of this because imagine, you know, how clean the air could be in your house if you can have a couple of these. But are you willing to pay for a bioengineered plant? Guess how much a plant costs? How <laughs> much? Hundred and eighty dollars U.S. Ooh. You got to think. This can is I the kill it? You're getting. Can I kill this it? T- of course you can. It's okay. a plant. <laughs> it, it looks like a legit plant. They do say though, we'll throw in the stand <laughs> and a pot as well for one hundred and eighty dollars. Generous. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's I like great. the idea of it though. It's kind of neat, but yeah, if I can kill any plant, I'm not. I'm going to kill on a really expensive one. Hey, I just wanted to bounce back to those uh, TVs, Mike, the, the wireless one. You said they'd be expensive at 97 inches wireless. What what are, around the cost would that be? So they won't say what oh. the cost is going <laughs> to be. However, well, then you know. however, you can expect probably 30, 40K easily. 30? OLED is, the, the panels are OLED panels, which are like the, the some of the nicest TV panels you can get. And at 97 inches, you know that TV is going to be expensive anyway. So you consider the new tech being built in. They're going for early adopters who have the money. 30, sure. three, zero, 30,000? It could be more. Oh. It could be more. There's a reason why they don't talk about prices mm-hmm. on the show floor. You can ask over and over to the blue in the face. They will never release a price because wow. quite often some, there's, there's some sticker shock there. Yeah, and uh, that's Mike Yanni money because I know he's a TV guy. <laughs> Mike, you're good I'm buying two of them this year. What can I say? Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, We'll let you get some sleep now. And uh, thank you for uh, catching up with us early in the morning after a trip to Vegas. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Name is Mike Yanni. He is the gadget guy with us every second Tuesday for Tech Tuesday.
You can find out more about what he does online at Gadget Guy Mike or on YouTube. Find his channel by searching Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. I can buy a car for that much money. Can you ever? Wow. The voice we know, he's a name that we know, Bruce Kenyon, Calgary radio legend, who you heard on these airwaves a couple of times. We're going to break down some of his history. He joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Sue. All right, Bruce, we've been uh, piecing together some of the history behind the CHQR 770 AM brand, of course. Now, QR Calgary, 107 FM, 770 AM, and you had an interesting uh, background. Can you break down, you uh, did some talk radio, you left talk radio, and as much as you wanted to get out, they pulled you back in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give us a bit of your Calgary experience. Uh, I arrived in uh, 1999. I was hired by CHQR at the time, where I spent, uh, I don't even know how many years, I hate to say it, but I think it was four. And then um, they had switched formats with what is now your FM station, and apparently it wasn't working out to their satisfaction. I'm not, now, when I lived in Edmonton, I worked at uh, a classic rock station. They had changed it to Q107 Classic Rock. So they came to me, asked me if I would be interested in going there, which I did. So not because I didn't like CHQR. If you want the truth, I got a great raise. <laughs> so, <laughs> but- well, that's, that's why I went. Okay. And then uh, after, Sue, how long were we on Q107? I think we were on there together for about four years, weren't we? Yeah. Okay. So four years there. And then... Things kind of fell apart. We don't want to go into big details as to why, but uh, it was a big mistake. They got rid of us. You're right about that. Yes. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, John Voss was a fan of mine. I had worked with him uh, previously on, Q- on uh, QR77, and they weren't happy with the guy that they had at the time, so they did this big switch around, and I was able to come back to uh, QR77, where I spent the remaining years. And you had a very amazing career here. Uh, people still, actually, somebody texted, and we were talking yesterday on our, our launch day of the new QR Calgary, talking about things we'd bring back, because Zellers is kind of coming back in a version. We're missing bugles, and somebody said, bring back Bruce Kenyon, just so you know. <laughs> Great. I feel honored. I'm with her with, ba- with bugles and <laughs> Zellers. <laughs> That's not How such about a bad. Thing. lunch counter. I could be like that. You were wrapped up in that whole thing. Plus, consumers distributing, so you're in good company. Um, <laughs> well, but, I'm flattered that people even remember my name because they do. people. Well, no, but people tend to have short memories for the most part. But I'm flattered that they remember. I'm honored. Okay. Yeah, that uh, that they did remember. I think that's part of it, right, is that people become sort of, you know, friends with the people that they listen to first thing in the morning, particularly, obviously, with all day parts. But you wake up with a, a person or a team. It, it's really important. And I think that's why it's kind of fun that we've uh, also joined the FM signal and, and can, you know, spread the word to a whole new audience here in the city of Calgary. Um, it's, uh, it, well, it's long overdue mm-hmm. going to FM and talk being on FM. It's ridiculous that it hasn't happened to this point. It's uh, encouraging. I will be curious to see 
how it works out. My guess is there's going to be huge raises for Andy and Sue <laughs> down the road. Where's the From wheel your bell? mouth to oh. our boss's ear. But, but, but Bruce, Bruce, I want to take it back a bit because every, you know, student of radio, anybody who gets into the radio game wants to be Johnny Fever, spinning the rock <laughs> hits. And basically you were Alberta's Johnny Fever for a long time. And then, of course, you rolled in to, to talk. Obviously, there was something that appealed to you about talk. What is it that's engaging from your perspective about talk radio? Ah, the immediacy, uh, questioning everything, um, wanting to know. Uh, I didn't. I didn't find there was that much difference between the two formats. I always took the attitude that we have to engage the listeners. And whether it's engaging the listeners on music facts or classic rock or what we and Sue can tell you a lot of times, we never even spoke about that when we worked on Q107, or engaging them with what's happening politically or what's happening internationally. I never viewed it as being that much different. You've got to keep in your mind, you've got to engage the listener and there's many ways to do it. I guess that's the key, right? And that's why people remember Bruce Kenyon, because to make a good host, you have to be able to share information and, and give people the knowledge that they need, but not be a know-it-all, right? To be that friend on, on the radio station. And I think you had that gift. I remember, Bruce, like I've never worked with anybody in my life who had as much music knowledge as you, but you also know a ton, a little bit about a lot of things. And that's important, right? I learned everything I know from Jeopardy. <laughs> Jeopardy describes my knowledge of everything, surface knowledge. I know a little bit about a lot of stuff and not very much about a lot of stuff, about most things. That's all I can tell you. It's only through you know, interest that I was able to be interested in many things. And as I say, I'm like a Jeopardy I could tell you about uh, architects on Jeopardy, E.M. Pai. I know he's an architect. I learned that on Jeopardy. Look at this so guy. It's always one of the categories. Yeah, look at this guy. You can tell he's, he's retired. I, I really like that. You know? <laughs> but, it, you know, it's interesting because you make your home now on the West Coast. You live on uh, Vancouver Island. What do you miss most about Calgary besides the weather? Uh, the weather, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the people, obviously, I'd say that's number one. Uh, I don't miss the weather one bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason I moved to the West Coast. Uh, it's the people. It was the same when I moved from Edmonton to Calgary. I made many friends in both places, and they're basically, I think, what ties you to a city. I was born in Toronto. I mean, I made a big route to get to where I am now, but it's the people, I think, that you meet in each place that make it special. Pleasure to chat with you. Great to hear your voice again. Calgary legend, Bruce Kenyon. Stop with the legend thing, will you? Icon. Icon. Oh, Magnate. <laughs> okay, the guy you used to listen to on the morning show, Bruce Kenyon. Hey, thanks for joining us, Bruce. Really appreciate it.